It's great to see those that have diligently sought to come into the presence of the Lord, and I pray that you are rewarded this evening. I've got a little longer of an intro before I get into uh, my prayer this morning, so I don't want you to think that I forgot to pray. But if you weren't with us, I just want to little lay a little foundation. If you weren't with us last week, I introduced us to our newest series entitled Pray Then Like This, uh, which is a lesson in prayer, specifically a lesson in the Lord's Prayer. We began the series with the topic, Teach Us to Pray, which was one of the requests of one of Jesus' newer disciples after watching Jesus pray and listening to Jesus pray himself. Now, this disciple didn't want to pray like the Pharisees prayed, or he didn't want to pray like the religious leaders prayed, uh, whose prayers were filled with pride and filled with prejudice, as we already learned last week. This young man wanted to pray like Jesus, because when he heard Jesus pray and saw Jesus pray, he saw something happen and he felt something happen. So he said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what I want us to receive from that part, which I didn't cover last week, is that it reminds us that effective prayer begins with a desire to pray. Amen? Because the truth is, if you have no desire to pray, you're not going to pray. If you don't have a desire to seek God, you're not going to seek God. If you don't have a desire to get into the Word of God, you're not going to get into the Word of God. If you don't have a desire to draw close, you're not going to draw close. The desire... Uh, If you don't have a desire to connect to his kingdom, guess what? You're not going to connect to his kingdom. If you have no desire to seek him, guess what? You're not going to find him. Because the Bible tells me that you will find him if you seek for him with all of your heart. Meaning you will find him if you seek for him with a deep desire. So please understand the fervent and effectual prayer, which we hope to develop in our lives, it has to start with a personal desire. It has to start with a desire to communicate with the Father, church, a desire to come boldly into His throne room of grace, a desire to come close and draw near. God said, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you, which lets me know that it begins with a desire on our part. God's already got the desire to come close. God's already got the desire to be knit together with His people. But He's reminding us that for us to have a right relationship with Him, and especially a good prayer life with Him, it begins with a personal desire. The reality is God won't make you pray. God won't make you read the Word. God won't make you come to church. God won't make you do all these spiritual things. It requires a desire, church. A quality prayer life begins with a desire for intimacy with our Savior. It begins with a yearning and a craving to connect with God. And I don't know about you, but I want to connect with God. Amen? I want to have an intimate relationship with God, but for that to happen, I have to have a desire. And it's all part of why this disciple asked, teach us to pray. Because he wanted to pray better. He wanted to connect better. He wanted for his prayers to be heard better. So the question, first question is, how many of you desire to pray better or connect better tonight? Amen. You see, my, my belief is that is your desire or you wouldn't be here tonight. 
I mean, you're demonstrating just by being in the house of God that I desire to learn something more about prayer that I knew yesterday. Amen. You're here and you're demonstrating to God and those around you that I desire to just uh, connect better with God. So that's why you're here. My hope is over the next few weeks, that's what I want to accomplish. I hope to give us a better understanding of prayer and the lesson that Jesus taught us concerning prayer. So that we can pray better, so we can connect better. Amen? As we study this prayer, uh, what I want us to remember all throughout it, like I said last week, is the Lord's Prayer is far more than poetry. It's not just poetry in the pages of the Word of God. The, the lesson that He teaches us concerning prayer and the Lord's Prayer is powerful and it is potent if we understand it, church. If we don't understand what Jesus is teaching and telling us in the Lord's Prayer, it'll be nothing but empty repetition when we pray it. And God tells us that we should not pray with empty repetition. I know it sounds wonderful, and I know that we do have some sort of understanding about the Lord's Prayer, but I hope that we can learn a couple new things at least to better our prayer life. The Lord's Prayer isn't supposed to be a bunch of empty words that we memorize and then repeat over and over again. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern of prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a form of prayer. The Lord's Prayer, in my opinion, is a blueprint, you might say, to effective and and fervent prayer. When Jesus responded to his disciples by saying, pray then like this, which is the title of our series, Jesus was saying, pray with this attitude. He was saying, pray with this understanding and pray with this knowledge, because when it comes to our spiritual life, we should all know that knowledge is power. Understanding is power. And if you want your prayer life to be more powerful, we need to understand this prayer better. Amen. Remember, the Bible says my people suffer from lack of knowledge like we've already learned. But if you look at the opposite, it means that when we have knowledge, we thrive. When we have knowledge, we excel. When we have knowledge, we grow. We don't weaken, we strengthen. Amen? So I want to help us gain a better understanding of the Lord's Prayer. My point is simply this. The more we know about prayer, the more rich our prayers become. The more we understand about the Lord's prayer and our prayer, the more powerful our prayers become. The more you understand what Jesus is teaching when he says, pray them like this, the more you will experience his power in your life and the closer you will come to Christ. And the more meaningful those moments in prayer will become. So the question before I pray is, who's ready to learn more about prayer? Amen. I hope it's all of us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he teach us what he wants to teach us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are in this place tonight. I thank you that you have a word for us, God, that you never ask us to gather in vain, but that when we gather, Father, in your house, you have a word to speak to us. God, you have something to say to us. You want to encourage us. You want to train us, Father God. You want to teach us. So I pray that you would be our teacher tonight. 
And God, that we would be your students, that we would be willing to open up our ears and open up our hearts and hear what the Spirit has to say to us. God, I pray that your people wouldn't hear Pastor Jeff tonight, but that they would hear your Holy Spirit, Father, that they would sense your Spirit speaking to them, Father God, because when we realize that it's you speaking and not man, we become more accountable, Father God, and we become more responsible. So I pray always, God, that your anointing would be in this place, that you would be upon me and that you would be upon my mind, that you would arrest my words and my thoughts and my body, Father, my attitude, God, that all of it would come under your control tonight so that your people would hear you and not me, see you and not me, God, sense you and not me, respond to you and not to me. I pray that your anointing would rest upon your people as well, God, that you would come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, all the cares of the day and the week, and that we would devote these uh, moments to you tonight, God. We thank you that you're here, and we thank you for the word that you have for us, and we give you the praise, and all of us said, Amen. In Matthew 6, verse 5 through 14, and I don't want to take a whole lot of time to teach you, but I'll give you this. I'll give you this quick foundation. When in, in Luke is where we find this young man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, after seeing him pray and after watching Jesus pray in Luke, he goes to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds by giving this young man an abbreviated lesson that he had already taught other disciples back in Matthew chapter six. This disciple that asked that question was a newer disciple, so he wasn't there when Jesus taught the full detailed lesson. But how many of you are glad that God will teach us whenever we need to hear from Him? I might not have listened yesterday, but He's willing to teach me today. I might not have been in church or in the house of God or in the family of God last year, but if I come to Him today or tomorrow or next month and say, Jesus, teach me, guess what? He's going to teach me. He's not going to say, well, why weren't you there last week? He's not going to say, why weren't you there when I stood on the mount and gave this tremendous message? He'll say, yes, I'll teach you. Because as long as we have a desire He'll open up the heavens and he'll speak to us. So what I want to use is Matthew because it's the first full teaching. And in Matthew chapter 5 through 14, and I'm only going to read up to verse 9 to start. It says, and when you pray, Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount and he's teaching all about prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, let me stop right there to just tell you that every time you pray, you don't have to go pray in secret. What he's telling them here is... Do not pray like the Pharisees who always just want to be out in public and seen for their their big fanciful prayers. What he was saying is that it's more humble for us to just go alone in secret and find this quiet place with God. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. God encourages us to do that in the Word of God. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, 
For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray, or pray then like this, Jesus said. And I want to teach you tonight. Is that okay? I might get shouty, I might get preachy, but I want to teach you tonight. And the first thing that I want you to notice here is that there, there is a way we are not to pray. There, there is a way that we are not to come before God. There is a way that we are not to present ourselves before God, and that is with pride. Because the Word of God said God opposes the proud. And what I want you to understand and realize is that the Pharisees were the, the epitome of pride in Jesus' eyes. So when Jesus teaches about prayer, he, he uses the Pharisees and says, when you pray, don't be like them, because this is how they are. And so what Jesus is teaching us is that there is a way that we are not to pray and a way we are not to come before God. And our prayers and our hearts are not to be filled with pride because he opposes the proud, but he welcomes the humble. Another lesson that we are to learn in this is that our prayers are not to be filled with empty repetition. Empty repetition would be for a mature, grown-up adult whose only, their only prayer would be, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If that's the only prayer a mature Christian prays, that would be considered empty repetition. That would be considered a thoughtless prayer. Listen, that's great for us to, to, to uh, teach our children to pray that prayer and to understand what that prayer is all about. But if you've been born again and you've been part of the family of God and you're trying to grow and mature in the Lord, I hope that's not your only bedtime prayer. I hope you've developed a deeper communication with God. That's one of the ways that I would say that's empty repetition because it's a thoughtless prayer. Once, once you've memorized it and repeated it so many times, you can say it while you're in the middle of something else and your mind not even be on God. That would be empty repetition. He also tells us that empty repetition would be like the pagans, what they used to do. They would find one verse and they would just say it over and over and over and over again. Maybe it's praise be to God, 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 praise be to God. They pray it for an hour. That's what the pagans did. It's empty repetition. And so what Jesus is telling us is that, that, that this is why the disciples said, teach us to pray, Jesus, because Jesus did not pray like the Pharisees. They didn't, Jesus didn't pray to be seen. Jesus didn't pray to be heard. Jesus didn't pray with big fancy words. Jesus prayed like Moses prayed to, to God. Moses was said to pray to God like a person would pray to a friend or talk to a friend. That's how Jesus prayed, like he was talking to his real father right there. And that's what we have to understand is that when we pray, it needs to be intimate. When we pray, it needs to really have a connection with God, not just empty prayers, not, not babbling the same thing over and over again. That's how we are not to pray. Our prayers are also not to be some lengthy, lofty liturgy either, filled with fancy words. I've heard some prayers where I've got to take out the dictionary and the encyclopedia just to figure out what the dude was saying. Lofty liturgical prayers. But they don't go any higher than those words themselves. They don't, those prayers don't go any higher than the loftiness of those words. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray with big words. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if you think your prayers are going to reach God because they're lofty, they're only going to go as, as high as they are lofty. They're not going to reach into the kingdom of God. I'm also not saying that you can't pray lengthy prayers because sometimes you've got to pray for an hour. Sometimes you got to pray for 10 minutes or sometimes you might have to pray all day. 
My point is simply this. It's not the length of your prayer that matters. It's the heart of your prayer and it's the desire of your prayer and it's the condition of your heart when you pray. Listen, when Peter was walking on the water and he began to sink, he didn't have time for some big old lofty prayer. Oh, Lord, my, my beloved father, which is way up in heaven, he just cried out, Jesus, help me. And that prayer was filled with passion. If there was ever a prayer filled with passion, it'd be then. Amen. So all I'm saying is there are ways we are not to pray. Amen. Because God's not impressed with that stuff. What he's impressed with is a broken and a contrite heart. What he's impressed with is a heart that's hungry to connect to God. What he's impressed with is a heart that understands the, the relationship between us and him. Amen. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray then like this. Please notice he didn't say, pray these words. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. Jesus said, pray then like this. And there's a big difference. Again, what Jesus is saying is pray in this fashion. He's saying, pray with this understanding. He's saying, pray with this insight and pray with this knowledge what I, I don't want you to misunderstand again some of the things that I'm going to say tonight, and I'll clarify it all. I'm not saying that we can't ever pray the Lord's Prayer when we feel led to do so. What Jesus is saying is that His prayer should not be our only prayer. His prayer should not be our daily prayer, and that's the only, pray that we, only prayer that we pray. He wants us to develop our own prayer and communication with the Father. Listen, when I grew up and you got kids, your kids all talk to you differently. Some talk sassy, some talk gently. Some talk, they all talk a different way. I don't want your prayer to be like my prayer. I don't want your prayer to be like this. This is our Father, okay? That's the title of my message tonight, Our Father. And what we have to understand is that's who we're praying to. We're praying to our Father. Amen? So you can pray the Lord's Prayer as you feel led, and you can repeat the Lord's Prayer with a pastor or somebody else. I'm just saying don't let that be your only prayer. We are to use Jesus' prayer as a learning tool, so we are to pray then like this. And here's where we go to the Word then, the next passage. We all know it, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's no way I'm going to get at all that today. I'm going to break this down over the next few weeks. But what I want us to realize is that if you look at the very first phrase of Jesus' prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, it teaches us that our prayers are to be focused in a specific direction. And that's upward. Jesus' words teach us that our answer to prayers come from God and not from man. The answer to our prayers come from God and not from me. They come from God and not from the pastor. The answer to your prayers come from God and not from your doctor. 
The answer to your prayers come from God and not your counselor. They come from God and not your spouse. They come from God and not your friend. What you need to realize is the answer to our prayers, church, the miracles that we have need of, the the intervention that we are longing for and seeking for, they do not come from the hand of man. They come from God. And that's what we need to understand in that very first passage. Our Father which art in heaven... David understood that. That's why he said, I set my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help, because my help comes from where? It comes from God, the creator of heaven and earth. That's the one who will answer your prayer. That's the one that will meet your need according to his riches and glory. That's the one whose cupboard is never dry. That's the one is Jehovah Rapha. He's the one who is Jehovah Nissi. He's the one that is Jehovah Jireh, your provider, not me, not the government. This government will one day go bankrupt. Good God, we're $28 million in debt. And we think we're a rich country. And there's so many people out there that think the government will take care of me. Your answer comes from God. It's not my government which art in heaven. It's not president who art in heaven. It's my God, my Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. The answer to our prayers come from above and not from below. They come from a kingdom and a king that is not of this earth. Our Father, which is in heaven, reminds us that our help comes from the Lord and no one else. We're going to look at that more in detail next week. But the first word, let me get a drink before I get going. Thank you, Brother Willie. The first word that I want us to examine and look at this evening is the first word in Jesus' prayers. And it has several meanings, and I hope I have time to get them all in. The very first word in his prayer is our. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father, which art in heaven. And what we have to understand is that with the very first word of Jesus' prayer, he creates a spiritual family. With his very first word, he reminds us that we're not in this thing alone. He reminds us that we're not fighting alone. He reminds us that we're not battling alone. He he reminds us that we're not struggling alone. He reminds us that we're not keeping the faith alone. He reminds us with one word that we have a spiritual family. You see, the reality is there's a lot of people in the house of God who have a physical family or an earthly family that they cannot count on have an earthly family that they cannot turn to, an earthly family that they cannot call on, an earthly family that they cannot lean on. They have an earthly family that's either turned their back or they're they're not around at all. But what Jesus is reminding us here is that when man turns their back and man's not around and your family, earthly families, nowhere to be found, you have a godly spiritual family that you can call on. Our Father reminds us that we are part of the family of God, church, with one word, Jesus calls us to unity and he knits us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. With one word, our, he reaches, God reaches to the four corners of the earth and he brings together every believer and he reminds us that we're all part of one family and all part of one body. We should always be mindful of that. You see, the reality is, Every day we should be mindful of the fact that we have a spiritual family. 
That we have spiritual brothers and sisters, just like we're mindful of the fact that our earthly family has needs and our earthly family needs comfort and our earthly family has uh, things that, that they would require help from us. We have a spiritual family as well. And we always have to keep that in mind, church. Our prayer life should always include our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Jesus used this word for a reason. He reminds us that we are a spiritual family. My point is simply this. If you go to the Lord in prayer and your prayers are always only about me, myself, and I, and they leave out your brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's prideful praying, church. Those are prayers that God tends to resist because all it is is about me, myself, and I. Again, don't misunderstand. That's not to say that you can't cast your cares on God. That's not to say that you can't bring your personal requests and needs to the Lord. What my point is this and what Jesus is teaching is that if you leave the rest of your brothers and sisters, if you leave the rest of your spiritual family always out of your prayer, it's a prideful prayer. We've got to remember, listen, it's not just about you. It's about our brothers and sisters in the Lord as well. We're to bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. And when you go into your prayer closet, you've got to remember your brother in the Lord, and you've got to remember your sister in the Lord. You've got to call on them and care for them. He's reminding us that we have a spiritual family, and with family comes responsibility. Amen? We have to continue to lift them up before the Lord. With one word, Jesus creates unity in my opinion. He says, our Father, and He teaches us that we're to live without division, that we're to live without fractions, that we're to live without bitterness, that we're to live without envy and live without strife. Psalm 133.1 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together or live together in unity, church. That's what Jesus was trying to cultivate with his very first word in this prayer to his disciples that he was teaching. He was teaching his followers that you must dwell together in unity. He was teaching his disciples who he would one day call to go out into the rest of the world. He was teaching them that you've got responsibility one for another. He was teaching them that you don't pray just for yourself, my father. He's teaching us that we have a spiritual family that we are connected to and responsible for. We have to be in one accord, church. We have to have unity among us if we expect our prayers to be answered. Remember on the day of Pentecost, unity was the key to the Holy Spirit descending in their midst. Unity was the key of the, for the Holy Spirit to descend on their prayers. You know the story. They were all in one place. And it wasn't until they were of one mind and one heart and of one accord. It wasn't until a spirit of unity was upon them that the Spirit of God descended in their place. Listen, if you want the Spirit of God to descend in your household, create a spirit of unity. If you want the Spirit of God to descend on your marriage, do what you can to create a spirit of unity. If you want God to fall in this house, there needs to be a spirit of unity in this house. There can't be bickering from this side to this side and hatred from that side to that side and bigotry from this side and that side and racism from that side to this side. There has to be a spirit of unity in this house. 
or the spirit of the Lord will not descend. It's what our father means. Has to be a spirit of unity, church. If you want the spirit to descend on this temple and you want the spirit of God to descend on your prayers, I don't know about you, but I want the Spirit and the power of God to descend on my prayers. But what Jesus is teaching me here is that my prayers better be filled with unity. My prayers better not be filled with pride and selfishness and division. They better not be filled with envy and and strife and unforgiveness. And again, we'll look at those things as we go. But we have to have a spirit of unity, church. You cannot pray with division in your heart and expect your prayers to be heard. You cannot be bickering constantly with your spouse and creating division within your marriage and your household and division with other individuals coming from you. Listen, there will be people that will divide themselves from you. I'm talking about coming from you. You cannot create division and expect your prayers to be answered by God. Your prayers must start with our Father without division. Or your prayers will not be heard. It's, a, it's important for you to understand that. Don't bother going to God in prayer, Jesus was saying, unless you have unity. Our Father, it means more than most of us think, church. You cannot pray with bitterness, envy, or strife, or expect to be heard. We cannot pray with pride or prejudice and expect heaven to hear us, let alone help us. The truth is, was Christ's very first word. He breaks through every racial and every cultural and every socioeconomic barrier. And he says, our father. With one word, Jesus drives us to unity. With one word, he drives us to equality, church. Reminding us that in the family of God, in the house of God, among the people of God, in the prayers of God, there is no room for bigotry. There's no room for hatred. There's no room for pride. There's no room for racism. There's no room for prejudice in the house of God, people of God, or in the prayers of God. Because black or white, he is our father. Because red or yellow, he is our father. Because rich or poor, he is our father. Because educated or uneducated, he is our father. Whether you're infamous or not famous at all, he is still our father. No matter what side of the tracks you live on, he is still our father. And Jesus is trying to teach us that there's no room for prejudice in the family of God or in the house of God. Amen. The first word that Jesus used creates a spiritual family and lets us know know that there's no room for prejudice because he is our father. In Galatians 3.28, Paul reminds us of this very truth when he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's no, no male nor female in the family of God, for you are all one. In Jesus Christ. You're all one in Jesus Christ. And it's exactly what Jesus was saying when he was saying, pray then like this. When he was saying, our Father. He was saying, pray without pride. Pray without prejudice. Pray without division. He was saying, when you pray, pray then like this. Our Father. He's saying, pray then like this. 
Black and white, pray then like this, our Father. He's saying, pray like this, our Father. Man or woman, black or white, rich or poor, pray then like this, our Father. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you got to be different than this world that's filled with hatred. You got to be different than this world that's filled with prejudice. You got to be different than this world that's filled with hatred. Sowing division and sowing discord. You got to be willing to stand hand in hand, black and white, rich and poor, famous or not, our Father. That's what the world needs. Individuals that can look past all of that and say, listen, I'm no better than you. We're standing on equal ground. Our Father. This is exactly what Jesus was saying to the disciples. When you pray, pray then like this. Without prejudice, without pride, without preference, without partiality, without bigotry. My God, over the last several months, you saw all of these. Uh, I want to be careful how I say all this, all this stuff with the cops and different races and all of that kind of stuff. And preachers standing up there sowing discord. My Lord, why aren't those men on their knees praying? Sowing unity instead of discord. I'm not taking sides. I'm saying that until we create unity. And pray. We're going to have this junk, church. Our Father, which art in heaven, teaches us that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord, no matter what color we are, no matter how much money we have in the bank, no matter what kind of house we live in, what kind of clothes we wear, what kind of car we drive. He is our Father. And we all stand on equal ground, church. Please understand, in the family of God, there's no red-headed stepchild. We're all on equal ground. We've all been saved by grace. Amen? We cannot forget that. In the eyes of God, we're all equal, and, and that should be the same way in our eyes as well. When you look at someone, you should only see a brother and a sister. When you look at someone, you should only see a child of God. You should not see anything else. And if you do, you're looking with prideful eyes of prejudice and preference. God doesn't prefer any of us over another. We are all equal and precious in God's eyes. And we must be in one another's as well, church. Look at Matthew 6, verse 5. When Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those whose prayers were filled with pride and prejudice. And I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, but you know the story I told last week about the Pharisee who stood up and prayed with pride and prejudice. As the passers-by went by and he's standing in front of the temple, I told you what he said. Oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like that one going by. and I'm not like that one going by. I thank you that I'm better than all of them. My Lord, talk about pride and talk about prejudice. I thank you, God, that I'm more special. I thank you, God, that I'm more holy. I thank you, God, that I'm more acceptable. I thank you, God, that I'm more special to you. That's what the Pharisee was saying. And then he began to talk about all the things that made him special. How he fasts and how he gives and his clothing and his washing of the hands. But what did Jesus say? Don't. Be like them. 
He didn't just say don't pray like them. He said don't be like them. You see, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the Pharisee stood out praying, he was praying what was in his heart. Pride and arrogance and prejudice. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why he, he had to go farther and, and didn't just say, don't pray like, because you can fake a good prayer. But eventually, what's in your heart is going to come out. Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and somewhere along that way, if you are like them, it's going to come out. Amen. So Jesus is reminding us in this prayer, look, don't be like that. Be humble. Understand that we're on equal ground. So when you pray, pray then like this. Our Father, pray on equal ground. You and I are to pray with the understanding that none of us are deserving. We must pray with the understanding. Look, I'm not saying we look down on ourselves because when we're in Christ, we're a whole lot, okay? We're more than conquerors. My point is this. When you pray and what he's teaching us is when you pray, pray on equal ground. Pray with the understanding that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the Pharisees didn't understand that. When we pray, we have to pray with the understanding that there are none that are righteous, no, not one. You understand what I'm saying? We all have to understand when we pray that I'm not better than that next guy. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, there would be me. I would be the fallen one. I would be the broken one. I would be the one all messed up if it wasn't for the grace of God. And that's why he starts the prayer with this hour. Father, reminding us that we are all on equal ground. That every single one of us have been saved by grace and not by works. Lest any man should boast. Well, and I want to be careful with this. There's a lot of times we stand up before God and say, well, God, I've been faithful for 30 years. I've been to church every single Sunday. I've done this. I've done that. Hear my prayer. That's dangerous. Because it has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. Be careful that you don't sound like a Pharisee. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes every week. I come into the temple of God every week. And we think that is what deserves God's response. That's pharisaical. What we have to understand is that the only reason I can come to God blameless and with great joy, with boldness, is because of what Jesus did and not because of what I did. Don't be like the hypocrite when you pray. Because that's, listen, what you're saying when you say, well, God, I've been faithful for 30 years. I pay my tithes. I do all that. What you're saying is that you deserve his favor and grace more than the next guy. That maybe doesn't give as much as you or doesn't come into the house of God as much as you. I believe there's rewards for the good things we do for God. But his grace is free. You can't earn it. And you better be careful that when you pray, you understand the power of His grace or your prayers won't be heard because they will be prideful prayers. Now, Lord, I'm 15 after and I'm not done yet. We have to pray on equal ground. It's a good time for me to start winding down. So if we have anybody for the music, we can do that. 
The interesting fact and the most important thing that I want you to see or hear tonight is that in the Aramaic language that Jesus was using when he prayed this prayer, Jesus didn't pray in English, by the way. He prayed this prayer in Aramaic. And the words, our father, in Aramaic are actually one word. They're not two. In the English language, our two English words are one Aramaic word, which is abun, or some pronounce it avun. And, and I know that that may seem insignificant to you at the moment, but if you understand it, church, at a spiritual level, it's extraordinary because with one word, and here's what I want you to catch, I, I don't want to lose you. With one word, abun, Jesus makes no room for division or separation from God. With one word, he says, Abun. He, he doesn't say our and he doesn't say our father. He uses one word and he says, Abun, which means in English, our father, which is in heaven. With one word, Jesus reminds us that not only are we, not only are you and I brothers and sisters in the Lord, but more importantly, he reminds us that we are his brothers and sisters as well. In the English language, watch this. In the English language, our father... Two words, our Father, leaves room for separation between us and God. Here's us, here's God. In the English language, our Father leaves room for separation between us and between God. But in the Aramaic language, He knits us together. Jesus in this prayer doesn't, doesn't separate us from God and saying, here's you and here's God. Here's us and here's the Father. In the Aramaic language, in the words that Jesus used, the one word of boon, He brings us together with God. He eliminates the separation. He eliminates the division. And he brings you and me together with God. He knits us together. You see, in the English language, and here's the problem with our spiritual life and the problem with our prayer life, we live our lives thinking it's us and God. We live our lives thinking, here's poor little us and here's big old God. And we sense this separation. Between us and God. I don't perform well enough. I don't do good enough. I mess up enough. Oh, it's us and God. It's me against. You understand where I'm going with this? Jesus is teaching us that because of him, because of Jesus, we're one with God. And if you and I could really understand that church in our faith walk and especially in our prayer life, how do you think the way you come boldly before his throne room of grace is with the understanding that we're already knit together with Him. Through Jesus Christ, we're not divided from Him. We're knit together with Him. And when you understand that it's not me and God, but us together with God, it enables you to come boldly into His throne room of grace and ask for help. Because you understand who you are in God, church. Listen, it used to be us separated from God. You had the veil in the temple, and you could not enter in. It used to be that way. It used to be us out here and God in there. But because of Jesus Christ, guess what happened? The veil was rent in two, and now we can enter in freely because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus knit us together with God. It is Abun, our Father, not our Father. It's us together. It's not us and God. 
It's us together with God. This is how Jesus starts his prayer. And the most important lesson that you can learn concerning your prayer life is that it's not you apart from God. It's you with God. And the reason that so many of our prayer lives struggle is because we don't understand that. We don't understand who we are in God. We have this English mindset that it's us here and God here. And I don't, that may be, I hope to God that's not too deep for you to understand or something that you can't fathom. Maybe you've been taught so many other things, but the reality is when you come to God in prayer, it's like this. Listen, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Here's Jesus. He is me. I and the Father are one. And guess what? If I'm knit to Jesus, I'm one with the Father. If I'm knit to Jesus, I'm one with God. And so when I go into the throne room of God, I'm not going by myself. I'm already knit together. I'm already part of the family of God. Our Father. And when you understand the power of that concept, it changes the way you pray. It changes the way you live your life. When you understand that it's us knit together with God, when you walk out the door in the morning, your praise is different. Your thank, God, I thank you that you're with me. I thank you that I'm knit together with you. I thank you that you're with me and not apart from me. I thank you that we are one today. That's how you defeat the devil. But the devil comes and he tries to get you to forget who you are in Christ. He tries to get you to forget that you're knit together because of what Jesus Christ already did. He begins to, to, to convince you that you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to stop this and you got to stop that before you can feel knit to God. That's not true. Now, I am saying God's not giving you a license to go out there and sin and do whatever you want. That's you separating yourself from God. But why do you think Paul was able to say... I am convinced, I have no doubt in my mind that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Why do you think he was able to say that? Why do you think he was convinced? Because he understood the concept of our Father. He understood the concept of Avun or Aboon, knit together with God. I hope you understand who you are today. I hope you understand that you are sons and daughters of the Most High God, knit together with Him. Give Him praise tonight. And it doesn't matter what the devil tells you. And it doesn't matter what man tells you. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says about you. You can stand confidently in the fact that because I am in Jesus Knit together with God. Us and God. Brought together with one word. A boon. And nothing can separate us from that love. And if we understand that, it will change your life, I promise you. It will change your prayer life. Instead of being timid. Instead of being afraid. Instead of wondering if God loves me, if instead of all of those things, you, that's how you boldly enter into the throne room of God's grace.
because of our Father. How many of you are thankful for our Father? Stand up to your feet tonight. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. It's time for me to wrap this up. How many of you want to be better prayers? How many of you want your prayers to be powerful? Then it all starts, church, with our Father. Amen.